0: good
1: morning His Majesty the King and Randy William Downs. Mika Rankin and Rome uh, Carroll for the appellant His Majesty the King. Jane Bailey and David Fewer for the intervener Samuelson uh, Glasgow Canadian Internet Policy and Public Interest Clinic. Donald um, J. Sorokin, KC, and I'm sure I mispronounced that, I apologize, Uh, uh, as as well for the next. Uh, 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 Fazal Alami for the respondent, Randy William Downs. Matthew Asma and Lisa Henderson for the Intervenor Attorney General of Ontario and Danielle Green for the Intervenor, Attorney General of Alberta. And uh, just a reminder, there is a public publication ban in this manner pursuant to Sections uh, 486.4 sub one and 486.4 sub two of the Criminal Code. Thank you, Ms. Uh, Ms. Rankin.
2: Thank you and good morning, Justices. Voyeurism is an activity that has long posed challenges for our criminal justice system. The challenge has become more acute with the advent of the information age and the explosion of new technologies that have facilitated opportunities for voyeuristic behavior. It was within this context of evolving technology that parliament enacted a new voyeurism offense in 2005. The new offence represented a step forward in Parliament's efforts to protect vulnerable members of society from the threat posed by new technologies. This appeal raises a question of statutory interpretation related to one of the three branches of the voyeurism offence. Section 162.1A has never been considered, at least directly by this court, and it's, it has seen limited treatment in trial courts. This prong of the voyeurism offence prohibits surreptitious recordings or observations of individuals in places where nudity, exposure of intimate body parts or explicit sexual activity can be reasonably expected. A majority of the BC Court of Appeal held that Section 162.1A required Crown to prove that nudity was reasonably expected at the precise time the respondent photographed the two young boys he was coaching. In doing so, the majority incorporated a temporal limit into Section 162.1A that significantly circumscribes its range of application. Justices, the appellants' overall submission in this case is that the majority's interpretation of section 162.1A was incorrect. We submit that this appeal should be allowed substantially for the reasons given by Justice Dixon in her dissenting opinion. We also submit that the trial judge was correct. Uh, to find that hockey arena dressing rooms, the ones at issue in this case, were places where nudity was reasonably expected and as such... Okay,
0: I get the impression when I read the reasons, actually both the majority and the minority of watching, I think it's called Kabuki, where the, uh, the, the actors are behind a screen and what you see are the images. Perhaps I've mixed it up, but there is a form of Japanese theater which operates that way. And what it seems to me, maybe, perhaps I'm just missing the point, but what it seems to me that they're talking about is whether in A and B, there is implicit what is made explicit in c of the provision that this observation or recording is done for a sexual purpose and if and if it is then everything comes together but if it's not done for that purpose it seems to me everything falls apart
2: well in our submission as i'll come to we don't we suggest that it doesn't require a sexual purpose that parliament's intention wasn't limited in this case to enacting an offense that was solely directed at sexual purposes but uh, justice Rowe, I, I do agree that the language is not on the face of the the statute itself and in my submission it was problematic for the uh, for the majority to In court or to to find that it was implied in order to give an effect to an objective, which we say didn't animate Parliament's uh, purpose in enacting the offence, or at least it wasn't Parliament's sole purpose. We submit that Parliament had two purposes consistent with the finding of this court in Jarvis.
3: So, Jarvis is... I mean, there are passages that support two purposes. There's passages where the, the purposes seem to be conjoined in Jarvis. Uh, do you agree with that?
2: I don't agree that they're conjoined in the sense of being intertwined, if I can put it that way. There, I, I would say that it's very clear in, in Jarvis, particularly at paragraph 48, that the court is identifying two specific objectives, and that's consistent with the the background of the offense itself, going back to the Department of Justice paper that was a, a consultation paper. Where the feedback that was received is that the offense should be conceptualized both as a privacy simpliciter offense and a sexual integrity offense and it's very clear uh, i submit from the parliamentary record that's 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 reviewed by this court in jarvis by chief justice wagner that that uh, parliament was giving effect to, to these
0: two objectives well so, you know it's it's the, the criminal code has a structure And I'm kind of one of those structuralists. Some of my colleagues here are pure textualists, as you'll find out throughout this hearing. But I'm more of a structuralist. And part five of the criminal code deals... Well, some of us just
3: read text,
0: but... uh, And stop. Uh, Part five of the criminal code is sexual offences. Part six of the code is the protection of privacy. The provision in question is in part five. It's not in Part Six. Why? And, well, which, which, which tells me, which tells me, that it's about the protection of sexual integrity, which it, it seems to me implies that this is in, in some way related to uh, viewing persons for a sexual purpose.
2: Well, Justice Rowe, I, I share your enthusiasm for structure, but I don't. I I respectfully suggest that the criminal code is not always coherent in the way it organizes uh, its its offenses under the code. And certainly, voyeurism, at least two of the branches of the voyeurism offense under subsection B and C, are clearly directed at sexual integrity. But our submission is subsection A need not be uh, solely directed at sexual integrity, The rather of that branch,
1: Mr. Rankin, I'm just looking at A and the way the place is described. It's not any place. It's not any place where someone has a reasonable expectation of privacy. It is a place that is directly linked to a reasonable expectation of nudity, of uh, sexual activity. It It is a place where there's a reasonable expectation that there's a risk to the sexual integrity sexual purpose What do we make of the way in which the place is described? How does that assist us in terms of of the purpose of the provision?
2: Well, we say the reason why that language is why, why nudity uh, exposure of intimate body parts and uh, Explicit sexual uh, sexual activity are identified is because it's a means of identifying uh, locations places where there is a high Expectation of privacy. In other words, it's a t- to, to borrow from the submissions of the intervening attorney general of Ontario, we say this is a principled and normative way of identifying high privacy locations. So it certainly would have been possible for the for Parliament to adopt a structure similar to 161 of the, the Criminal Code and list a series of offences. There's some ba- or, or, not offences, but of, of places. Where uh, heightened privacy expectations can be found, but instead, what what Parliament did was use a mechanism, association with nudity, to identify areas where it, it is clear there's a high expectation of privacy. So bedrooms, bathrooms, change rooms, and so forth. Mr. 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 Rankin. Rankin,
4: what? How do you? What do? You, sorry. Do, go, um, ahead. go ahead. Uh, thank you. The the, the um, what do you make of the dissenting judges? allusion in paragraph 82 to child pornography here it is important for a contextual and purpose of analysis of section 162 a to note that photographs or videos of children in various states of undress can amount to child pornography which interestingly not not at once with what the how the trial judge described things is that is that of any relevance in 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 understanding the the twin purposes of 162. 1A, is it or is this an irrelevant comment? Is this an obiter comment?
2: It, I would just, I, I, Justice Kasser, i I would describe it as an obiter comment. I don't think it's relevant. I don't think it's it's not written in the context of describing what the purposes of the offense, but merely to observe that the absence of nudity doesn't necessarily mean that, uh, that, that an image doesn't uh, interfere with sexual integrity.
0: But, but, le- but we sub- But let me give you an example to try to bring this out. I mean, uh, you've got next door neighbors and they've got a new pool, right? And there's their young children who are in the bathing costume, right? And and you take a photo, or you take a little video, and you say, well, I'm sending this to my cousin because this is a great pool. I mean, this is the kind of pool I want in my backyard. And it happens to show children in bathing costume. But it's completely innocent. I mean, it's, it's like, it's not about the kids, it's about the pool. Versus someone who has an attraction towards children, which is problematic, and makes the video and stores it for the purpose of later gratification, shall we say? This, it's, the actus reus is the same, but what's different is the purpose. And 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 I, I, I find it hard to give effect to these provisions in a kind of a sterile way, which is which is detached from that.
2: Well, in, in, this, in the fact pattern that, that, that you posit, Justice Rowe, it may or may not be child pornography. Certainly, if it was a case where someone was using a zoom lens, like in Ru- Rudiger, which is a case that this, uh, uh, of Justice Voith in British Columbia that's discussed in, in Jarvis, if you're zooming in on the body parts of the individual, of a, the genitals of a child, that may well make it uh, child pornography. And I agree with you that that mens rea is relevant. Mens rea is what combs out from uh, what might otherwise be a broad offence or broadly captured conduct and ensures that it's uh, connected with Parliament's purpose. So uh, I think that's common to to many offences. In this, this, uh, with respect to this offence, we submit that it's not that it's not simply a a sexual purpose that has been targeted. So, uh, for example, I would point to a case like Trinchy from the Ontario Court of Appeal that discusses uh, uh, the Parliament's object of protecting places and said that it would capture an individual who is trying on hats in a change room because a change room is a place where privacy is heightened, where it's expected, provided nudity is reasonably expected in a particular change room. Well,
5: isn't that the point, that it's the risk of intruding on sexual integrity? And perhaps to bridge the point that uh, Justice Karakatsan has made and the point that Justice Rowe makes, it isn't privacy at large that's targeted by subsection A. Um, One could be taking a tape recorder and recording the... The discussions or the, the noise inside the changing room—that would, in some sense, be an intrusion on privacy. But it wouldn't be what's targeted by subsection 162.1A. It is the—it is the—it isn't all privacy interests that are targeted. It is a privacy interest that is specifically targeted with the risk of intruding on sexual integrity. So it isn't that the criminal code is incoherent in respects of the the various parts and you said I think you gave away too you may maybe you gave giving away too much by suggesting that the criminal code isn't entirely coherent there is a coherence in the provision in that it is a, a specific type of privacy interest and the risk of intrusion onto sexual integrity that's targeted by A there's either actual intrusion in C or B or a risk of intrusion that's targeted by A isn't that one way of reading the provision
2: I, I suppose I, it, 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 the, the provision I, I think on in a given case it may well be that sexual integrity and privacy are uh, interlinked that the objectives are complementary but my point simply is that there if the offense were to apply to situations where there is simply privacy that's intruded upon or infringed upon that that would be consistent with parliament's objectives and returning to uh returning to the legislative record That's exactly what Parliament stated, at least uh, 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 Martin Cochon when he was Minister of Justice and Attorney General in the parliamentary record that's quoted in our materials, said specifically that it's not just a sexual integrity offence, but one that is also targeted at intrusions into privacy. And so I would suggest to you that often the two uh, objectives overlap or engaged particularly when we're dealing with something like a bathroom or a change room or a location of that nature, but they need not, is simply my point.
6: So are you saying then that uh, uh, to the extent that uh, uh, this accused uh, took pictures of uh, the children with their medals in the changing room, if one of the children didn't um, agree to that or hadn't consented, that there'd be a voyeurism offence?
2: If, if the respondent took pictures surreptitiously in a change room, it wouldn't matter what the nature of the activity was of the subject inside of the photo because what the offense does is it prohibits taking pictures in locations where there is, uh, where nudity is reasonably expected. So it's, it's really irrelevant in my submission as to the nature of the activity that the subject of the photograph is is engaged in because it prohibits photos in places and and yes i say it's because those places are places where there are risks associated with uh intrusions into into privacy that that may be of a sexual nature I, but it sorry oh, sorry finish no, your thought i,
4: I just Wanted to follow up with a, qu- a question on just on what you're what you're saying. Go. Ahead.
2: I, no, no, please, uh, Justice Kassar, go ahead. Well, I, I, I,
4: can, what about the indictment? The way the indictment is framed, and and I'm thinking count one. That that the uh, Mr. Downs did unlawfully observe or record children under the age of 16 where the children were in a place in which they could reasonably reasonably have been expected to be nude, contrary to one a was that, was that a mistaken drafting of the indictment, the
2: they? Well, I, I, I don't know if I could say a, a mistake or not, but this was an issue that was addressed at the outset of trial, the uh, respondents' trial a council brought what I would describe as an application for particulars and Crown explained at that point in time that Crown's position was that, it, that the observations need not have been of, or, or pardon me, the expectations didn't, didn't require that the, the complainants themselves be expected to be nude. So I suppose in some way, yes, I, I guess the answer is that the indictment need not have particularized it and to the extent that was an issue, it was clarified at the outside what crown's position was and crown's position was in fact crown was very clear that the complainants that there would not be evidence that the complainants themselves would undress a, um, and shower and become nude and so that it was based upon the expectations that other persons and potentially other hockey players who were young hockey players would be nude
4: or a person as the as 6 162 1a says right not the, not the person yes. necessarily the a yes. a person i guess that's the key point point. and when you're talking about sexual integrity and the purpose of the statute that a person f-
2: looms does it not it's 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 still yes. it, sorry go ahead we on. we uh, pardon me if i if i'm interrupting you justice justice kessler but we say that it is significant that the code says a person uses an indefinite article in describing the reasonable expectations of the person who is nude or engaged in explicit activity and so forth. And the, the trial judge in her reasons discussed this at paragraph 205 and 207 in addressing what was the position of the respondent at trial. And and the respondent's position was that, it ha, that the complainants themselves had to be reasonably expected to be nude. And that was rejected we say properly by the trial judge but but in our submission it's important that parliament used an indefinite article because it creates an objective standard and because it focuses on the general functions of the place according to 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 not simply the users the subjects of the photographs but to potentially many categories of users who may be in that location at a given time on a given day so returning to that that's I, in terms of what I wanted to address in my submission, I, I wanted to begin with the text uh, to make a point that I've just made and then turn to um, a question of the the methodology and finally to the constitutional challenge that's been raised in this case. I've made one point about the text already, um, just in responding to your question, Justice Kasserer a- Another point that we think is important with respect to the text is of course, that it doesn't contain any kind of express temporal limit. And uh, of course, parliament could have added an express temporal limit. And we point in footnote 111 of the appellants factum, we list a number of provisions of the criminal code, where uh, to to speak of the coherence of the criminal code, where uh, actual time limits are introduced. And so for example, in 162.1, Um, which is the offence of of, uh, transmitting uh, intimate images. Uh, Intimate image is defined as one, uh, in one of the definitions, as um, uh, an image uh, in which a person has a reasonable expectation of privacy. And I quote here, at the time of the recording. So there are plenty of examples in the criminal code of that type of temporal language being used to define the actus reus of the offence. And we simply don't find that kind of language uh, in this provi- provision, and we submit that that's that's uh, significant. Um, another feature of the text, of course, is the the uh, the fact is the fact that there are uh, three different branches to to the uh, to the offense. Um, Section 162.1A focuses on territorial privacy, as this court found in Jarvis. And one of the 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 effects we submit of incorporating a temporal limit is that it that it tends to have the effect of causing section 162.1A to overlap with section 162.1b. And this court has held at various instances that that effect should be given to each of the to, to the wording and each of the provisions. Of a statute, and I well, we accept that that overlap is not categorically impermissible. Better effect is given to Parliament's objects by reading section 162.1A uh, as as uh, applying, uh, as focusing on places where nudity is res- re- respective uh, is expected, irrespective of the precise time at which the place is being used by a certain category of user a further point um, that i want to just touch on briefly is the french text we we note in our argument that when you you set up the french and the english text side by side um, there's nothing in the french text that suggests a departure from the english text the same kind of definite and indefinite articles are used. The language is consistent. So all of the points that we make um, with respect to the text and, and all the points made by Justice Dixon in her reasons, we submit are equally supported by um, by the French text.
4: But you have to read them together to make sense of the French text, I think. Um, to read it. The- because... The the, uh, indefinite articles used in the French text to describe bodily parts are not the same as in the English, which are gendered, at least in one instance. And so to make sense of the French, I think you have to at least avert to the English to understand that the reference in the French is actually perhaps gendered, which would make sense given the sexual, going back to this point, Justice Jamal's point, that that the the sexual uh um dimension of the purpose of 162 1a is 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 plain and it's plain by the dual reading so you in english it says her breasts in french it says seins yes. that be male breasts but reading them both together the,
2: yes uh, I, I, so I Justice Basterasch's
0: book is very helpful in this regard on methodology, <laughs> as is reflected in the erudite question from my brother, Kassirah.
2: I, 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 I understand what Justice Kassirah is saying, um, but I suppose th- they are in this sense, a very, uh, they are complementary, they aren't uh, inconsistent with one another. No, I, I'm not saying um, they're in inconsistent ways. at
4: all, I'm saying they reinforce Justice Jamal's point that you can't read the privacy dimension of the purpose alone that there t- 162 1a sits on these twin pillars and it's reinforced by the text
2: um, yes so returning i i i understand you, uh, what you're saying justice Kasser. um returning to to uh, my submission, I want to to touch on this question of of purpose again um, and, and i 've noticed already we, we submit that there, that an error in the majority 's reasoning is that it relies upon a misidentification of the purpose of the voyeurism offense, and this perhaps brings us brings us back to this very question of whether it's it 's uh, limited to sexual integrity or not. We say that Parliament was trying to give effect to two objectives. Now, it may be that the objective of privacy um, does is is influenced by the presence of the second objective, but it's not overwhelmed by it. And we submit that the majority in the court below by characterizing the purpose of the offense as being one of sexual privacy has the effect of of turning it into what is what uh, a purely sexual integrity offense and that's that in my submission is is the risk of of placing too much emphasis on its location in the criminal code um, on uh and its connection with the other offenses which are clearly related for example and, and by other offenses i mean the other branches of the voyeurism offense which are clearly array- related to a sexual purpose or to sexual integrity we submit that the gravamen of section 162 1a is to focus on uh is to focus on privacy and to focus on the the first of the two objectives that's identified in by this court but can i uh, ask in- you this
1: i mean i'm looking at 61 1a and it's it is um we're talking about uh, reasonable expectation of privacy always for all of A, B, and C, but it's not everywhere where you have a reasonable expectation of privacy. Privacy is protected only in the places that are described in A, and those places are places where a person can reasonably be expected to be nude. do we? Do do you agree that it's not privacy at large, that it's privacy that's restricted to these kinds of places?
2: Yes, I I do accept that it's privacy that's restricted to these kinds of places, but it's because those kinds of places are places where people have a high expectation of privacy and not exclusively because they are nude.
3: Right, in fact, the section doesn't even require that the subject be nude exactly
2: quite, right. quite the opposite in right fact. so, there, the so that so
3: prote- that f- that person's privacy interest may have nothing to do with whatsoever with with sexual integrity
2: well yes i i, I think that but but the fact that they the
3: do you do agree do ha- you agree with that
2: i i i do agree with that okay Thank you. I, I do agree with that and i think for example i'd point to the the trinchy decision from the ontario court of appeal the reason why those those locations are identified is because they are uh, locations where we have a heightened expectation of privacy, but somebody could be in the bathrooms checking if they have something in their teeth or something of that nature. My submission is that's a location where they have a heightened expectation of privacy That, that and that this is the structure that that um, parliament has chosen to identify, to differentiate amongst the myriad of places where a heightened expectation of privacy places Uh, could be found in places this is the mechanism that that that, uh, parliament has used to differentiate amongst those places in the very brief time i have i want to touch on the constitutional issue um raised by the respondent Um, my 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 response to that constitutional issue first is that this court ought not to consider it Um, i say respectfully that it's a kind of fallback position and this is not one of these, uh, those rare cases when a new constitutional issue should be considered. There are no reasons from the court below, there's no record. And I think that my submission is that puts the crown in a very difficult position, especially when it comes to section one. But if this court does consider the constitutional challenge, we say it ought to be dismissed on the merits. We're in agreement with the analysis of, of the attorney generals of Alberta and Ontario um, I, I, of course, don't have the time to repeat the framework, nor, nor need I for an overbreadth challenge. We do concede that the liberty interest is engaged, but the central flaw in the respondent's argument is in his characterization of the legislative purpose of section 162.1a. The respondent argues that the objef- objective of section 162.1 is to target exploitative sexual conduct. That's what the respondent sets out at paragraph 68 of his factum and and we say there's simply no support for that characterization of the objective underlying section 162 in the legislative record it's also completely at odds with this court's conclusions in jarvis where chief justice Wagner held that the purpose of section 162 was to protect individuals privacy and sexual integrity and so we say when properly characterized section 162 1a is is uh, it is consistent, its application is consistent with those objectives, and the offense is adequately tailored to those objectives. And again, I place some emphasis on the Ontario Court of Appeals decision in Trinchy, which discusses the application of section 162 But I guess to the simple point is that nudity is not required and interferences with sexual integrity are not required for this offense, and so there is an alignment between its objectives and its effects. And unless the court um, seeing the time, unless the court has any further questions, those are my submissions.
1: Thank you, Mr. Rankin. Um, Ms. Bailey.
7: Thank you. Thank you. Um, I SIPIC. Um, Takes a position that a non-time constrained interpretation of the place provision in 162.1A both uh, accords with the words of the provision, um, as as detailed by my my friend from the Attorney General BC, um, but is also um, consistent with this court's equality focused sexual integrity approach to sexual violence, and to to. I think, respond to many of the questions that were, that were raised um, by uh, the court. Um, CIPIC submission is that a change room most certainly is um, a quintessential example of such a place, and that a, a change room does trigger sexual integrity interests um, uh, of, of, of the users of those rooms. Um, so we have a condensed book. Um, our, our first submission, you will see um, we have five bullet points. I think in light of the questions, I would like to focus on, um, on just three of those. Um, the second bullet point being that um, the non-time-constrained interpretation reflects Change Room's main purpose to provide private spaces to undress, which does safeguard sacrosanct bodily and sexual integrity interests that this court recognized in Jarvis. The fourth bullet point, that that such an approach affords enduring assurance to change room users that these are places in which they'll be free from non-consensual surreptitious observation and recording. And the fifth bullet point, that it also provides clear and fair notice to potential perpetrators that surreptitious recording in violation of reasonable expectations of privacy is prohibited in in these places. And that, I think, is in particular important in response to justice. Martin's um, question uh, about taking photos of, uh, of youngsters holding their medals in a change room, because of course it's important to note that we don't get to section A until we've already reached a conclusion that there, there, there was a reasonable expectation of privacy, which, which this court provided a very um, uh, detailed contextual approach to, to determining, which also included um, location um, and purpose. Our, our second submission, which is found at point B of our Could I ask you, book,
5: to, on the first point then, the, the, you would characterize the uh, intrusion uh, on privacy as being an intrusion on sexual integrity, even if the person isn't nude. You would characterize it that way.
7: Yes, I, yes, I would. Um, because um, change rooms are understood to be places where you can um, remove your clothing, um, and they're expected to be places of, of safety. Um, and that, um, definitely triggers, um, bodily and sexual integrity interests, which, which, which relates very much to, to our, our point B in our, our condensed book, which is, um, where you have a space that the fundamental purpose of which includes nudity and partial nudity, that, that does trigger, um, what this court in Jarvis described as sacrosanct sexual and bodily integrity interests, which is not to say say that it must do that in order to qualify for subsection A, but to say that certainly in a context of a change room in an athletic facility, that it most most certainly does. Um, And and that's consistent with parliament's intention of protecting children and other vulnerable people from sexual exploitation and abuse. Um, and providing an enduring protection to these uh, spaces regardless of whether someone in them is fully nude or exposing genitalia at a specific point in time is consistent with this court's adoption of uh, Professor Elaine Craig's sexual integrity approach to sexual violence in Friesen and in Jarvis because that analysis doesn't just focus on sexual motives arousal or body parts of the accused it takes into account the perception experience and impact on the victim as well as violations of trust humiliation objectification and exploitation and that finally a bright line approach prioritizes the equality autonomy liberty and privacy and dignity rights of women and children who are the groups most likely to be targeted by voyeurism now I see equality, that equality
0: seems to have become like the oracle at Delphi. When you had a difficult problem for which there was no answer, you pose the question to the Oracle, and Section 15 yields the answer. This seems to be a stretch in this circumstance, how to properly interpret this by reference to section fifteen of the Charter. Yes.
7: Thank you for the question, Justice Rowe. Um, this this leads nicely to the to the to the to our, our final point which is that by narrowing the protection of privacy and sexual and bodily integrity of athletes there are disproportionately negative implications for members of already marginalized equality seeking communities and and we say this happens in two ways first, because the narrowed protection exacerbates the urgent problem of sexual abuse in sports, which already disproportionately affects the rights of women, girls, LGBTQ+, and disabled athletes. But secondly, because the the time-constrained approach provides an unequal protection of the bodily and sexual integrity and privacy rights of members of certain equality-seeking communities um, who may be less likely to remove all of their clothing or expose their genitals in a change room, due in part to pre-existing systemic discrimination that leaves them already feeling unsafe in those spaces. So for example, where members of these such communities are the only users of a change room at the time of a recording, the majority's narrowed approach would presumably lead to the conclusion that the change room at that moment is not a place within the meaning of the provision. And so this group, as a group their sexual and bodily integrity and privacy rights as they experience and understand them are not are less protected than members of majority communities who feel safe completely removing all of their clothing and secondly if if these equality seeking community members are not the only users of a change room at the moment of a recording their sexual and bodily integrity and privacy rights under a time-constrained approach aren't protected in their own right, but instead depend on the presence of members of majority communities who feel fully safe to disrobe. And for for these reasons, we suggest that equality very much is implicated um, by the time-constrained approach that is is adopted by the majority.
1: Thank you very much. Thank you, your time is up. We'll wait through, wait. okay. Um, Mr. Sorokin, and you can tell me how to pronounce your name. What is it? Sorokin. Uh,
8: the name is pronounced Sorokin.
1: Thank you, Mr. Sorokin. Now you can try pronouncing my name.
0: Uh, no, I'm going to give that. A <laughs> Good luck. Go ahead, um, Mr. Sorokin. It actually pronounces like it spells. <laughs> yes,
8: it's. Uh, I've. Um, would like to go back to the initial comments, Justice Rowe, that the, there's a structure to the criminal code. And I also add that there's a structure to, it, to the trial. And the structure to the criminal code is that this section is obviously got to be regarded as a sexual offense, because that's where it is. It's in the criminal code under the sections of sexual offenses. And to just... I'd like to talk about the consequences of a person being convicted of a sexual offense. You will see in the reasons for sentence of the uh, of, uh, 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 learned trial judge that because Mr. Uh, Downs was charged with a sexual offense, he faced a life-threatening condition in prison. He was beaten several times. And in order to safeguard him, he had, self, he had to be put into. Into a protective custody, he is. Uh, the reasons for sentence also disclose the discrimination that he faced and his mother faced when he was labeled falsely a child molester as a result of the uh, the uh, uh, breach of privacy by the police department in holding a pr- press conference.
3: Sorry, how does this relate to the interpretation of Section One Hundred and Sixty Two Sub One?
8: It relates to it because if you're going to say that people are going to end up with a conviction in the sexual offense section where they I don't do anything with a sexual aspect to it, it can't, in my respectful submission, it can't be Parliament's intention to do that. Why would Parliament want to have people that were innocent and did not do anything of a sexual nature, found to have been committed a sexual offense? And there are many other collateral consequences to being convicted of a sexual offense. Well, you you say he
3: didn't do anything of a sexual nature. I I want to
8: pull you to your factum. You have a heading,
3: top of page five. Findings by the trial court that the respondent's conduct was not sexual.
8: That's correct, it was.
3: Can you please point me to where the trial judge makes a Finding an affirmative finding that the conduct was not sexual as opposed paragraphs, to for as opposed, as opposed as opposed for example To refraining from finding that the conduct was sexual which I assume you'll agree is something quite different
8: Well, I don't particularly agree that it's different in the context of a criminal trial and that well I don't know the, what that
3: means. I don't know what well, that I'll, means I'll, I'll you, I'll you point I... to nothing in your factum and there's nothing that I can see in the trial judgment that contains a finding that the conduct was not sexual. What I see is the trial judge refraining from drawing an inference to that effect.
8: Well, that's precisely the point. Well, I'm sorry, your your heading
3: is is completely misleading, sir.
8: I'm sorry, I don't believe it is. In paragraph 73... I'm telling you it is. Well, I guess I'm bound by a ruling then, but paragraph 73 of the sentencing uh, submission, decision of the trial judge, she states, and I'm quoting, it's in, it, it, it's in the condensed book. Yeah, I see it. Over many years of coaching, Mr. Downs' voyeuristic behavior only occurred with respect to two boys. It, although this is not a mitigating factor, it suggests he was interested in surreptitiously photographing these two boys in particular, as to opposed to taking such photographs generally. I have no explanation for his behavior. Mr. Downs was not charged with taking the photographs for a sexual purpose, nor has the Crown sought to prove that the photos were taken for sexual purpose. I have no evidence Mm -hmm. as to why he took them, and in the circumstances, I am not prepared to draw an inference that the photos were taken for sexual purpose. Now, you, you seem to make a distinction that that's a finding that leaves it open to to being argued by the Crown that it was taken for a no, sexual purpose. No, that's
3: not what I'm saying. I'm saying that your heading is misleading because you you've put words in the judge's mouth saying that in fact not only is she not prepared to draw an inference that the photos were taken for a sexual purpose, she's inferring that it was not taken for a sexual purpose. We're going around in circ we're going I'm gonna leave you alone, Mr Sorokin.
8: Well and I, 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 I I thought don't wanna, your fact was completely back off misleading this on because that. Because the whole the whole sentencing provision was based upon if you look at, the, at the, uh, the sentencing decisions, went off on this discussion because the Crown had inter- introduced pre-sentence reports that w- said it was for, on the basis of a sexual purpose. And the trial judge rejected that. It's implicit in her rejection of that that she found that it was not for a sexual purpose. And there's not, and I don't, I don't know that the crown is, is is even here alleging that it was for a sexual purpose. But uh, in, in my respectful submission, there is, there, there, there is nothing to suggest that this accused acted with a sexual purpose, or in any, or was in any way motivated sexually in the taking of these photographs.
5: Is it a uh, is it a, a sexual offence if Parliament says, that? Uh, an accused who uh, uh willfully runs the risk of intruding on sexual privacy is an offense is that is that a is that a sexual offense if that's what parliament says that's a, it's, it's in the section that's 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 headed sexual
8: offenses part five uh sexual offenses is what it says and it it, it if if one has a conviction for that offense the consequences are of being convicted of a sexual offense, and that that has application in in many different aspects, including uh, being uh, having to have uh, clearances for working in certain settings, etc. So, in my respectful submission, the the accused was convicted is, is being charged with a sexual offense. He's not being charged with a privacy offense, as was pointed out the privacy section is elsewhere in the criminal code and doesn't relate to, to these sorts of affairs. And if, it's, a, if the, it's not even clear that if it's just a standalone protection of privacy offense, that it comes within the legislative jurisdiction of parliament, as opposed to the property and civil rights jurisdiction of the provinces. Uh, it's the key to this is the reference to the sexuality, in the termination in terms of sub A that there is it reference to being nude exposure of genital organs or anal region or breasts or engaged in explicit sexual activity it is not a standalone uh, privacy provision nor possibly could it be so but but uh, if we
6: go back to, I mean, to say that it's not for a sexual purpose, I read that as only the trial judge saying that 162 1C has not been established. Um, and that there's other ways of talking about sexual um, motivation uh, without speaking about sexual purpose. But isn't it enough in terms of what Parliament's done? They have used, I think uh, your friend Opposite used the term, a mechanism, which is the interpretive parts of uh, 1A where it describes uh, a place and what uh, a person could reasonably expect it to be nude. Aren't they saying that that is uh, a sufficient tie to the sexual um, Um, underpinnings of the voyeurism defense offense excuse me
8: in my respectful submission the 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 section requires the specific offense to be of a have that sexual aspect to it and that's what the what's what majority thought and that's why they talk about bringing in it it, it's just a discussion with respect to time as been as, as it's been described But it's really a discussion with respect to the place. The the place, like a hockey dressing room, is not the the same type of place at all times. Sometimes it may be a dressing room used for teenage boys who uh, their coaches want them to shower and change into blazers and that sort of thing. At other times, it's a place where people bring their children uh, of a younger age Often fully dressed in their hockey gear, leaving the car and going into the dressing room and then onto the ice. It's not the same place. It depends upon the time and it depends upon the use of the place. And to make it, to, to, to argue that a person commits a sexual offense by virtue of something occurring in a place where there is no actual c- conduct that could anyway be said to require sexual protection is in my respectful submission an overreach. Well, and if the sec, sorry.
1: I'm just gonna ask you to respond to the arguments though about the the way in which the um, the legislation is worded, the reference to a person's reasonable expectation, not, and the fact that it doesn't require actual nudity at the time. What are your response to those arguments? Uh, the the
8: this, this takes us to the indictment again where here in this particular case it does require the actual children according to the pleading that was put before the court to be there i'll come back to that but it it, it i i uh, ag- agree and adopt the position, position taken by the majority of the court of appeal that in order for this to to be an offense that's a uh, 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 and I am arguing that it should be interpreted to be not in violation of the Charter. But if if one is just to turn it into a general offence, where uh, you may or may not know that you're facing a jeopardy because the, there's no obvious nudity in the place at the time, uh, then then it could be challengeable on the overbreadth that issues that I've raised. And and I I respectfully agree with the the initial comments of Mr. Justice Rowe, that the whole thing hangs together because it has to have something sexual about it. If it doesn't have something sexual, why is it in the sexual offences section? Why does it have a uh, five-year maximum uh, uh, penalty for taking photographs of a non-sexual nature one would not expect a person to be sentenced to five years of imprisonment and to suffer all of the collateral consequences of, uh, of uh, uh, being convicted of a sexual offense. I don't know if that, that's my position. I don't know if it answers your question.
3: You've mentioned those collateral consequences three times. You do know that the, sexual, the, the sex offender registration provisions give sentencing judges discretion not toward a registration for people
8: convicted of voyeurism. I'm not referring strictly to the legal collateral consequences. I'm also referring to the community collateral consequences. This man has been branded a sex offender by the initial uh, video conference that was held by the police. And the, the general public is still treating him as a sex offender. Those are serious collateral community consequences, and they are. I'm not just talking about these are dealt with by the by the trial judge in the sentencing provisions. When she talks about the effect of being confronted and people bothering not only Mr. Downs but his mother, yes, there are exceptions to the uh, to the uh, uh, ability to require a person to be registered as a sex offender, but. Every time one is asked to have to disclose what they've been convicted of, whether it's in a job application or to go across the border, that is a collateral consequence. And I don't think there's going to be any doubt that being convicted of an offense under the sexual offenses provision of the criminal code is regarded as most serious. Now, uh, I, I've uh, had, I guess, some issue has been taken with respect to the to, to my statement that that, that the uh, accused was not uh, committing a sexual offence. Uh, I believe it's implicit in the in the uh, reasons for judgment of the learned trial judge, or, or the, the reasons for sentencing, that she rejected the crown submission to be sentenced on that basis. The crown never appealed that that. Uh, determination of the trial judge, it was left uh, unchallenged by the Crown and uh, and now I, uh, I, I I don't believe it's an appropriate time for the Crown to challenge that given the position they've taken. Uh, but they're
6: not challenging that. What they're saying is that sub A doesn't require the, the, the sexual purpose that's defined in the basket uh, clause of, of sub C. And they're saying that as long as it is in a place in which a person can reasonably be expected to be nude, et cetera, that that is a sufficient um, mechanism or proxy for uh, sexual underpinning or motivation that brings it within the sexual offenses and brings it within the one of the purposes that Jarvis says this uh, um, this uh, provision has. So,
8: but I, I, we're getting to the we're getting back to the to the issue of the place again, and uh, uh, What I, he
6: was convicted of. So he was convicted under a, a section that reads in a particular way, and was not convicted under another section that reads in a different way.
8: And it's the, there's been some, this has been addressed by suggesting that the majority is requiring that there be an additional, additional requirement of of, uh, uh, the temporal requirement but in my respectful submission what the majority is doing is, is analyzing whether the place at the time of the offense was a place where there would be a reasonable expectation of privacy and i submit that the court of appeal did not read in additional language it simply interpreted the word place to include a temporal consideration, and the temporal consideration was because the place was, is not a constant. It's not a toilet. It's not a shower. It's a dressing room.
3: So, so are may- we are we doubling up on the reasonable expectation of privacy analysis that the preamble kind of contemplates? Are, are we doing this at two different places in the same provision?
0: Well.
8: I, I don't know that, what, that we're doing that, but what we're doing is saying that in order to come within the definition of a place where there's a reasonable expectation of nudity, et cetera, one has to consider whether the place at that time or in that use is such a place. So I think, you,
3: I think your answer is yes. Let me ask you are, 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 are you going to speak to this um, charter challenge of yours?
8: Yes. Uh, the to determine over over breadth the purpose of the statute has to be determined the crown and the intervening attorneys general attorneys general argue that the, uh, I haven't identified it it is not solely to expect against exploitive sexual conduct has been submitted that's in the uh, But there, the majority state that their purpose is to protect an individual's privacy and sexual integrity. It's linked. Can I
3: just just pull you back because there's kind of a preliminary point. I mean, you are only allowed to raise arguments and we only have the jurisdiction to hear from a respondent arguments that support the order below, support the order. And the order below is for a new trial.
8: I and were your charter challenge to succeed, to, to, I think
3: there wouldn't be a new trial,
8: right? No, I'm I'm asking that there, that there it could be for a declaration as to what the extent of the of the provision is, and it's the it's my understanding the court has the power to make any order that the court of appeal could make. Right.
3: In other words, let me make my charter challenge without seeking to vary the order below. Um,
8: I don't need. To, I don't need to vary the order below to. to, to but but you have to, to actually to, I,
3: support. You have to actually support the order below. Your argument has to be in support of, not just refraining from, from undermining it. You have to actually support the order below. And how does your submission of unconstitutionality support the order for a new trial?
8: the order for a new trial would have to consider the section and it would be important to know what the law is and when it have the new trial. But the, the, My friend has argued that this should not be considered because it wasn't raised, in fact, it was raised. I have no control over whether or not the Court of Appeal will address the issues, in, but to say that it wasn't raised is just not accurate. It was raised in the court below not, um, that this
1: Yes, I I think that um, it's clear that you raised it in the court below, it was not raised at trial, there is no record, Uh, it was not dealt with in the court below. In such circumstances, I think uh, you have to persuade us that there is exceptional circumstances why we should consider uh, the constitutionality. Uh, So, uh, what are your submissions, why is it an exceptional circumstance? that would satisfy the criteria in Gandong.
8: I, I would j- just point out that it wasn't raised at the trial because it didn't arise until after the trial judgment. So the first opportunity to raise any constitutional issue was in the Court of Appeal and it was done there. But the, ex-
1: counsel, the ex- it's not a question, it's not a question of whether you should have raised it or didn't raise it, it's a question of whether we are in a position to be able to deal with it appropriately.
8: Well, that's a good point. I, it, it, I don't know what more record there could have been on on this issue, if if the it, it, in my the exceptional circumstance I suppose I would argue is that one should not leave a, a potentially unconstitutional law in place, if if the if the law is to be applied so that uh, it, it it doesn't require any sexual component to it then in my respectful submission, it is overbroad. And to leave that in place would be inappropriate. And to have to go back and have a new trial on the basis of, of, yet again, a possibly unconstitutional application of the law, and then have to raise it on the new trial and then come up the appellate ladders again, in my respectful submission, is not a good uh, use of judicial resources. But I have nothing, I, I I'm not, my friend is correct in in saying that it's a fallback position because i in my respectful submission the appropriate way to decide this appeal is on the basis of the interpretation that requires there to be some f- sexual aspect to
5: the can offense. i ask you about that because and this may take us back to the interpretation issue a little bit i mean in a sense it's happenstance that there are no um uh, pictures of complete nudity in the in the Uh, In your client's uh, possession on your theory it would have been Because there was no sexual purpose you say uh, It would have been uh, Inoffensive it would not have been an offense even had let's say one child uh, Decided they wanted to take a shower on a particular day and photos or video had been captured on your theory There wouldn't have been an offense even then right under sub a it wouldn't have been caught under B or C But it wouldn't have been caught under a either
8: no I, I don't agree with that because if there's an actual person there that's nude it would be clear that he comes within the section and it, it isn't a matter of happenstance that he didn't take any pictures of nude children because there were never any new children to take pictures of
9: but there that's was evidence the there was in, that's incorrect though because there was evidence from different uh, people who testified that at times the kid with the white cap took showers so I don't think that's correct
8: not on the date and times that we're talking about the, the, uh, in the indictment. This is, this is where the trial go, went off on uh, at, uh, the, the examining of places instead of examining what was happening on the date and time that set forth in the indictment.
9: Well, that's based on reading into uh, aid like you want us to do.
8: I'm sorry. Well, I didn't follow that. Keep going. Well, um, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't understand where there's a theory that there's, at, these, at the time and place set in the indictment, there was a suggestion that there were people that were nude. That's not my understanding of the evidence.
1: I, I think and, we have your position on that. You're saying that there has to be, at the time the photos are taken, there has to be some nudity. Uh, in the change room? Yes, but I don't, I, I, I'm putting it in
8: the definition of the place re, rather than it being a, a uh, um, uh, 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 rather, rather than adding in a temporal aspect to it. The place, the timing is different because of the different uses of the place of the, that's in, inherent in, in these types of change rooms in hockey arenas. there's absolutely no possibility of nudity at some times and at at older age groups in some of the dress rooms only the ones that have shower facilities could there be a possibility of nudity so it's it's the it's actually focusing on the place and by by the majority looking at the time that the time of the events they're looking at the times when it is used for a specific purpose In some cases, there might be a reasonable expectation of privacy. In the times that were uh, uh, relevant to this charge, I submit there were not.
6: But can I just, uh, the the interpretation you seem to be uh, suggesting uh, under Sabe is that person is in a place in which a person is nude. And isn't that very different wording than what we're
8: uh, dealing with? No, I was, I was saying in answer to the question that if a person was nude, that would, that would bring it within the definition clearly. But, but it, I'm saying one,
6: that the way that you're suggesting we read it is to, in effect, rewrite the section in the way that I've suggested, that they have to be nude when the photo is taken um, for, um, before this subsection is met.
8: I'm, I'm not looking at the actual people being nude i'm going back to the wording of the section that relates to the expectation uh, can reasonably expect it to be nude if they're not in a place where they could reasonably expect it to be nude because of the the use at that particular time or by that particular grouping then they don't come within subsection a So I um, I don't know if there's anything else that I can address. I see I have more time, but I think we've covered off the various
1: issues in, in the questioning here. Thank you very much, thank you. Um, Matthew Asma for the Attorney General of Ontario.
10: Good morning, thank you. Uh, Ontario is here in support of the constitutionality of the legislation if you should reach that issue. We agree with the appellant, British Columbia's uh, Crown, and with the intervener from Alberta about legislative purpose. We say the purpose of voyeurism is both about protecting violations of sexual integrity and about uh, preventing violations of privacy. And we submit the offence is not overbroad. I understand uh, my counterpart in Alberta will be addressing the overbreadth argument and my oral submission is uh, intended to focus on our alternative argument about section one of the Charter, Uh, I've got kind of two themes. One is to present the best argument I can on this record, but um, the other kind of current of my submissions is that the record is inadequate and um, in my submission, you should not decide the constitutional issue. Um, But that said, if you do reach that issue, uh, my submission is that, uh, despite whatever overbreadth you might find, the section is justified in a free and democratic society and should be upheld. So my first point is to ask you to consider the rights of the victims of voyeurism. We know from this court's recent decision in Brown dealing with uh, section 33.1 of the criminal code, uh, this court clarified that victims' rights are not relevant under section seven, but are a proper consideration under section one. By the way, the citations I'm mentioning are all uh, given in my factum starting at, at page 16 in my factum. So when you consider the victims of voyeurism, as I submit you must under section one, um, I ask you to understand that voyeurism is a gendered crime. Uh, we, we know from the consultation paper from 2002, which has been referred to already, that, um, that that paper suggests that most perpetrators of voyeurism are men, and most victims are women and children. Now, I, I wanna be precise though, what the consultation paper actually says is that many voyeurs are also sexual offenders and that most sex offenders are men while most victims of sex offenses are women and children. I would like to be able to point to evidence uh, that would be before you that would establish that voyeurs are predominantly men, victims are largely women and children. Uh, I am disadvantaged on, on that issue because of the state of this record, as you appreciate. Had this been litigated at trial, I expect that recent criminological statistics could have been presented uh, to make that point more clearly. You will see in the reported decisions about this offense that it's exceedingly rare to find any accused other than a man uh, charged with voyeurism and the vast majority of victims are women uh, or girls or boys. And so my point here is that the impugned provision um, helps advance equality rights by enhancing protection for vulnerable victims which I suggest is a pressing and substantial uh, legislative purpose. I ask it also to consider that developing technology exacerbates the problem of voyeurism. Before the age of low-cost digital technologies, like tiny cameras, uh, rapid distribution through the internet, before that, uh, you know, became widespread, voyeurs usually needed to physically trespass, and consequently they could be charged with offences addressing the trespass, And we know from the legislative history here that parliament determined that those offenses were no longer up to the task the old men you have charging options like break and enter or prowl by night could not address digital intrusions and my submission is that that societal fact that problem has not improved over the last 20 years again i would like to have more evidence that could uh, persuade you of that but i do suggest that this court has already spoken to that point in 2017 in the case of duez versus facebook Uh, About, of course, a different legal issue, but this court observed, I quote, that the growth of the internet, virtually timeless with pervasive reach, has exacerbated the potential harm that may flow from incursions to a person's privacy interests. And I submit that that those concerns about invasions uh, through new technology have only grown in the last two decades since Parliament turned its mind to this issue. Um, While there there were differences
0: clearly in Jarvis, I think there was factual common ground that um, what had happened is exactly what you've indicated. There, there had to be changes in the uh, criminal code to reflect the fact that in earlier days, you had to enter onto somebody's property to become a voyeur ordinarily. Whereas with modern technology, that wasn't needed. And so, uh, I mean, I think that the court has, has accepted that um, fully that's my reading of Jarvis, anyway
10: um okay well uh, if if that's the case I, I will move on to my next point which is um in comparing the uh, the interests of uh the the victims of this crime um in the weighing test you'll have to apply you'll have to consider what are the interests on the other side and um this court's decision in sherman estate uh observed that protecting privacy um from publication in that case was a potentially pressing and substantial objective that weighed against competing interests. And in that case, it was freedom of the press. I I suggest that if you reach section one, you'll have to address what is the competing interest at stake here. Um, So Ontario's submission is that the the right to be free from intentional, non-consensual, secret observation, which violates an expectation of privacy, that right outweighs whatever weight you might give to a countervailing interest of someone making such observations or recordings. So you should ask, what is the legitimate competing interest of uh, people who commit the acts constituting voyeurism? The respondent has not identified such an interest. Ontario submits there is no such legitimate interest. And, And I'd say that in Ontario, there is no legal right to do these acts, even if they were not crimes. Uh, invasion of privacy is now recognized as a common law tort in the law of Ontario. That comes from the 2012 decision of Jones versus Sigi from the Court of Appeal in, in our province, which recognizes the tort of intrusion on seclusion. Um, it's an apt label, which certainly includes surreptitious observation or recording that violates an expectation of privacy. Um, so I submit that however you you look at this, there there's no legal, there's no... It, w- however you look at this, the impune, the charged conduct is illegal. Um, and so I say that whatever competing interest um, it is assigned to that, it must be very low. You should also consider whether any charter protected free expression is constrained by this criminal prohibition against voyeuristic observation and recording. Ontario says it, it is not. Remember that an observation of a person which violates their expectation of privacy, is not necessarily the crime of voyeurism unless it is also done surreptitiously. So the observer need only seek consent or at least give fair notice of the presence of the camera. And I think this is the answer to the medals in the change room hypothetical. If the coach wants to take pictures of the boys wearing their medals in the change room, all he has to say is, hey, smile for the camera, then he's not acting surreptitiously. And I say that the need to give notice, at most, is a minimal impairment of whatever right of free expression you might identify as being engaged by by an accused uh, facing one of these charges. So just to conclude, Ontario submits that uh, the competing interests in the present context are negligible, and it should be easy to conclude, if it's necessary, it should be easy for you to conclude that the offense creating provisions justified. There's nothing socially valuable about surreptitious observations in private spaces like change rooms that violate an expectation of privacy that's a reasonable expectation of privacy and that do not advance the public good. When you look at all of those other elements, um, the the narrow set of conduct captured by voyeurism is illegal in, in the tort sense. It's not in support of any other charter protected interest. And the the privacy interest meant to be protected uh, in my submission clearly outweighs whatever interest you identify um, as being behind a Section 7 violation, should you find one. Um, So thank you. Those are my submissions.
9: Thank you. Uh, Ms. Green. Good morning, Justices. As intervener on the constitutional question before you, Alberta's position is that Section 162 is constitutional. It is not overbroad. Its scope does not extend past Parliament's intended reach. It does not stray beyond the boundaries of the Charter. Alberta will address two points this morning, both related to the Section 7 argument. First, I will speak to how the limitations inherent in Section 162 narrow the scope of conduct captured by this section. This will lead into Alberta's second point, that Section 162 is well tailored to the overarching legislative purposes of the overall section and does not capture conduct unrelated to Parliament's objective. Addressing first the limitations on scope, Alberta submits that the inherent limitations within Section 162 effectually eliminate any concerns as to overbreadth. The majority of this court in SHARP observed that through the qualifications and defenses built into Section 163.1, which was the legislation in question in that case, Parliament restricted the scope of that provision. Even where the conduct in question was properly captured within the section, it was only where the countervailing rights of free expression and public good did not outweigh the risk of harm to children that a conviction would result. Alberta submits that the same reasoning applies in the present case in respect of section 162 1A. Justice Dixon, for the dissent in the court below, wrote, the harms associated with such exploitative breaches of personal privacy and sexual integrity are serious and may be long-lasting. Parliament has chosen to address them by creating three distinct branches of the voyeurism offence. But as has been discussed earlier this morning, even before a trial judge conducting an analysis of this section gets to these three distinct branches, the prosecution must first prove beyond a reasonable doubt, one, that there was an observational recording, two, that that observation or recording was surreptitious, and three, that the observation or recording occurred in circumstances that give rise to a reasonable expectation of privacy in respect of the person being observed or recorded. These latter two elements each require a detailed analysis by the trial judge. The element of surreptitiousness requires the Crown to prove an intention on the part of the accused The element of circumstances that give rise to a reasonable expectation of privacy was addressed by this court in Jarvis and requires careful consideration by a trial judge of a number of factors. Nine were created. It's not an exhaustive list and none of those are determinative in and of themselves, but they must be considered in determining, or can be, to assist the court whether the prosecution has met its burden regarding this element. It is only if the prosecution satisfies those preconditions that a trial judge can then move on to consider the specific subsection charged, and in this case, subsection A, which requires the prosecution to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the place where the observation or recording took place is one in which a person can reasonably expect to be nude, exposing intimate body parts or engaged in sexual activity. As both the majority and the minority of this Court in Jarvis confirmed, place in this context will encompass mainly those traditionally private or semi-private places. Contrary to the respondent's position, the fact that this is so in Alberta's submission does not render the provision overbroad nor does it eliminate the need for a further contextual analysis in specific cases. And those cases have been referenced in both our factum as well as the appellant's factum and include cases such as Hamilton uh, out of BC, R&FG out of Ontario, and R&DR out of Saskatchewan. Finally, and further limiting the scope of section 162, even where the offensive voyeurism is made out, where the defense of public good arises, The prosecution is also required to prove, beyond a reasonable doubt, that this defence does not apply in a given case. Respectfully, those are the elements of the offence. There are no other elements, and Alberta respectfully submits that there is no requirement for any other elements to be added, for example, a temporal use element, as the concerns of overbreadth raised by the respondent were proactively addressed by Parliament before the legislation was enacted and clarified by this Court in Jarvis.
0: Moving I have to, on, I have to tell you, there's a, there's a, con, there's, a, it, it comes up in various contexts. A concern that I have expressed in, I dealt with in Schrenk, which was uh, human rights legislation. I dealt with sort of obliquely in Jarvis. I write, wrote for the majority in one, the minority in the other. But the, the, the prob, the concern I have, And I don't think it manifests itself here is that ill-mannered, uncouth, socially unacceptable behavior is properly dealt with by social means as opposed to the criminal law. Now, to some extent, that's a policy question because parliament can can do, do pretty much what it likes under the criminal law. But we shouldn't wander in our interpretation of what Parliament has adopted into becoming morally prudish. Right? And we should be mindful of a kind of an exploitive or a predatory or a, uh, something which really undermines the, 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 the integrity of an individual versus simply saying well your conduct is no longer socially acceptable therefore you were guilty of a criminal offense it's it's a it's a boundary that has meaning for me i'm not sure it presents itself in a practical way here but i i i note my preoccupation there
9: Certainly, Justice Rowan, and that leads very helpfully into Alberta's next point, and that is that the offence is properly tailored to its purpose and does not capture anything uh, that is outside of um, what is captured within the criminal realm here. So Alberta submits in this regard that the wording and structure of Section 162.1a are well tailored to the purpose of the legislation and do not capture any unintended or non-criminal consequences or conduct. And as has been briefly addressed this morning as well, prior to the enactment of section 162, as again, both the majority and the minority of this court in Jarvis observed, section sections 177 or section 431D, uh, were most often the criminal code offenses charged in respect of acts of voyeurism. So prior to the enactment of section 162 a for example, a stranger hiding behind the door of an arena dressing room taking perhaps the exact same pictures of 12- and 13-year-old complainants in their underwear in various states of undress as were taken in this case would most likely have been charged with an offence such as Section 431D, mischief. This would have been the case, we respectfully submit, even in more aggravating circumstances, such as the allegations in the present case where the appellant did not have to hide to take the photograph surreptitiously because of the position he held as a coach, and the corresponding trust imbued in him by the complainants and their parents. As both the majority and the minority of this court articulated in Jarvis, the incidental way in which voyeuristic conduct was charged prior to this section was insufficient. insufficient. Parliament recognized that this was so and they enacted section 162, which in our respectful submission properly criminalizes and captures voyeuristic criminal conduct, conduct that has been acknowledged by this court in Jarvis and by courts across Canada to be intrinsically harmful and exploitative, particularly of those most vulnerable. Alberta submits that unlike the facts before this court in cases such as Apulanapa, where there was conduct that was captured um, outside of the, the criminal realm and what was intended, there are no unintended consequences that arise from a proper application and interpretation of Section 162.1a. There is no morally innocent or non criminal behavior that is at risk of being caught by this provision. Even in those circumstances where the observational recording captures a person, for example, who is fully clothed in a dressing room where no one else is present or expected to be present, if the preconditions to 162.1a are met, then following the reasoning of the dissent in the court below, that conduct is properly captured by the provision because, and I'm quoting, it is seriously exploitative and personally invasive and is appropriately criminali- criminalized as a form of sexual offense. Thank Subject to any questions the court might have, those are my submissions.
1: Thank you, Ms. Green. Um, Mr. Sorokin, I would give you five minutes to reply to the admissions uh, submissions of the attorneys uh, general uh, if there's anything you wish to
8: add. Uh. I thank you for the opportunity, but I don't think there's anything that I need to address
1: in it further. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Um, then reply, Mr. Rankin.
2: I have um, some very brief points to make um, in reply. Four points.
1: Any reply? Uh,
2: yes. Can you can
1: you hear me? Uh, I don't. We don't see you at present
2: see myself, so I'm not sure why that's the case.
1: No. Oh, there you are. (laughs) Uh, Okay, we see you. very well.
2: You can see me and hear me now? Yes. Very very well. I was saying I have four very brief points to make um, in reply. The first point that I wanted to make was with respect to the question of collateral consequences. Um, and, And on this point, we just simply note that From an interpretive standpoint, we submit that the the collateral consequences on on an individual are not particularly material to interpretation of the statute. There are, of course, general principles of interpretation that look uh, to the consequences of the criminal law, which have some bearing, but not collateral consequences uh, in particular on an individual. But more specifically, um, Justice Brown referred to to, uh, the collateral consequences from a legal standpoint And and we do also note that uh, voyeurism is not a designated offense, a mandatory offense under SWARA. I also note that it's not an offense that's subject um, to uh, the application of a 161 order, uh, for example, a prohibition order. The second point I want to make just was just to provide a a very brief reference to Justice Cassier about, you asked about the indictment and I simply wanted to point to pages uh, three to 14 in the transcript and also in particular, page eight of the transcript where the Crown, this is at the outset of the trial, indicates that they are not alleging that either uh, of the complainants were, uh, were were nude at the time or leading evidence to that effect. So it was very clear from the outset. I just wanted to give you that reference. Also, Justice Obanswin, you, you uh, in uh, questioning The respondents' counsel, you asked about evidence of nudity in the record, and I simply point out that in our condensed book, we have provided tabs and highlighting with uh, from the transcript with the evidence related to specifically related to nudity in these particular dressing rooms. The final point uh, and last point that the last point that I'll make um, relates to the charter argument and. Justice Kagan, You you refer to the fact the charter issue was raised in the court below, and my friend said that as well. Uh, I just simply point out that it was a different charter argument that was raised in the court below. It was the charter argument was not that the provision had to be read down to contain an internal um, temporal limit. It was that the uh, chart that the uh, the offense had to be read in effect like the concurring reasons of Justice Rowe in uh, in Jarvis. So it was a different charter argument, it's evolved, and it, it, ultimately that may be immaterial because the Crown's position is that it's not properly uh, before the court and ought not to be considered, but I wanted to make that clarification. And unless, Justices, you have any questions, that's all I had to say by way of
1: reply. No, thank you very much. And thank you to all counsel. The court will take the matter under advisement.